Tools Day, Tools Day, are you ready for Tools Day? Tools Day, Tools Day, let's talk about tools. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Welcome to Tools Day, a brand new podcast on IBM Radio where we discuss tech tools, tips, and tricks on Tuesdays at 2. I'm your co-host, Yuna, a front-end developer on the IBM Cloud Design Team. And I'm Chris Donaraj, a front-end dev on the engineering side. We still don't know the split. <laughs> it's time for 20 minutes of Tool Talk with today's topic being style guides. And today we have a special guest, Brian Hahn. Say hi, Brian. Hey. Hey. He was the one who was doing that awesome beatboxing. It was a lot of fun prepping yeah, for the right. show. <laughs> So Brian is also a front-end developer, and he works on the Bluemix team with us. Do you want to tell us a little about yourself? I would love to, Yuna. So um, <laughs> I am a front-end developer, as Yuna said. Uh, I just kind of got started um, in my career as a front-end developer. So before this, I had studied journalism in school. I was kind of going through the quarter-life crisis and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And... Uh, and then it just kind of dawned on me that coding was becoming way more accessible and it was really fun to learn on the side. And so I went through a boot camp um, to do Ruby on Rails and found that I really like UX and the UI stuff. And so found myself at IBM, long story short. Um, so I've been, this is my first job as a front end developer working at a tech company and it's been a blast. And I've just been working a lot on style guides. That blows my mind because Brian has been essential to the style guide project that we've been working on here. And it's a topic that is really close to all of our hearts because we've all really been contributing to this pattern library together. Um, so if you're not really aware, what is a pattern library? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a series of reusable components and modules um, and base elements to help make developing a lot easier, a lot easier to just build really quick, clean, performant, and accessible interfaces and to do that in a really efficient manner. So it's something that we've been working on together individually. This project has had so many phases, and Brian was really there from the entire lifeline of this project. So that's been a while. How how long has it been? Um, pretty much since I started. So like, it's <laughs> Wait, been like so six months, eight months. It's been a year. It's been over just over a year now wow. of like just doing this kind of work. Um, so every once in a while, like a. I mean, Bluemix is a team that's just kind of like uh, changing a lot. So internal teams, sub teams in Bluemix are always shifting around. So I kind of ended up being uh, pawned off to other teams to quickly start a prototype and then hand it off to someone else. But most of the time had been around thinking about how to create um, like living style guides that encompass uh design guidelines, front-end developer guidelines, um, and just reusable components. And we've had to like go through a few rounds of iterations where we'll try it once, where we have no idea what we're doing, and then scrap it because we were trying to do too much. And later iterations, we just keep uh, like minimizing the scope more and more and more so that we're trying to do, uh, deliver something that's more focused. And I think that's what we have now with our current iteration of um, our pattern library. So 
Yeah. And I joined the Bluemix team back in April, and I was also put on one of the iterations of this. So again, kind of like Brian said, we do work on this pattern library and the components, as well as do prototypes for um, just other parts of the team and other projects. Then try to take those prototypes and consume them back into the pattern library. So it's really like back and forth. So I've been sort of on and off on the pattern library project as well um, for a few months now, but after Brian had joined, they've already gone through a couple iterations there. And I was coming from the Watson pattern library. So essentially, we did the same thing on the Watson team, um, where we just kind of started from scratch, really, and created a series of really simple, basic components that you can just throw together for an interface. Right. And I came, I joined Bluemix about three, four months ago now. And about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was tasked to actually use a style guide in our product itself. Uh, prior, everyone kind of wrote their own CSS, and while it was mostly consistent, there are always there are always flaws when everyone's doing their own thing. And then, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Chris kind of came in and said, "I need to use this. I think this could be better. So let me get in on this." And, yeah, and it so was nice to have a new it viewpoint. Was very out of the blue for me. Um, I have actually worked on similar components and my prior job at Reuters. Um, at that point, I was actually building the style guide as opposed to now where I'm consuming it and doing more of a PR or pull review role. Um, and it's, it's very interesting coming from my perspective now as a person consuming the guide as opposed to the one creating the guide um, and the different things I'll think about versus what Brian or Eunice is thinking about as they make the guide itself. And it's so important to have that because I feel like you don't really know what you're missing until you try to consume your product. It's really important to be not just someone who builds, but someone who uses what right. you're building. So it's cool that we get to work on a product right now, at least that we have that ability. Right. And that feedback loop is super important. I think we were kind of missing that in our earlier iterations of the design guide. And um, and what's really cool about this is that, like, when when I was asked and my teammates were asked to, like, go build a pattern library, just go do it, we don't really know exactly what we're doing. We've never done this before, so we're all trying to figure it out for the first time. Um, but when you first hear that, it's like, would I want to use a pattern library? I don't like using bootstrap i don't like using foundation they're doing so much for me and they're so difficult to overwrite so one of the big goals that haven't really been written anywhere is just how do i like mitigate the pain of using something like this so it's just that much more accessible right. and wanting to be usable for everybody yeah and i think that one of the biggest like challenges that we've faced is everyone's idea of easy to use and accessible is different. And right. so everyone is asking for different things. And when it comes to pattern libraries, everyone seems to have their own way to want to style something, so everyone has an opinion. Right. It's not like a very nuanced thing. It's a very general, usable thing. And our goal is to make it usable for everyone. So I feel like that has been the reason why it takes so long and it's so difficult to create a unified system with all these opinions. And it, really, it's different types of people using it, too. Uh, just to build off of what you were saying about people want to use in different ways. So some people are just hardcore back-end devs who want to build a prototype real quick, and they want it to look like Bluemix. And then you have people like me who's trying to make the product itself look like Bluemix, and the use case is different for both of us. Like For me, I want clean, compact builds, and somebody else might want the whole shebang. Uh, they want the entire Bootstrap Foundation type library. Um, 
so building for that use case is is interesting. Yeah, and I think that something that I kind of discovered when I first joined this project, I had in my head this conception of what a pattern library should be or what it is based on how I wanted to use it, which I think is valid, but it's not as valid as understanding how the majority of people want to use it. And in my head, it was all about making it really extensible inside of my SAS. So I wanted to write the class names that were um, really relevant to the content that I was producing inside the site, and then use extends or mixins in the style aspect into the style guide, rather than in the markup, the HTML markup, to um, their extend and style my elements. And so we created this system of extends and that was what we started with. And then we ended up having to compromise. So we we provided extends, we provided class names for each individual element so you can class each individual element to get the visual representation that you wanted. And then the third option that we provided was you put a class on the body and then you just have your plain elements and figures and divs inside of that. So we are now trying to make this as broad use as possible based on your skill level and development and your want to really dig into the code yourself. It's also interesting having those options there because as we're like developing this, we're always like releasing via like a private Bower package. And Everyone, I don't know where all these people are coming from, but right. everybody from the greater Bluemix IBM teams who are working remote and outside of our office somehow know what's going on. They grab onto this code and they just start using it and putting it putting it in production. And it's really interesting to see like how they're using it because there's so many different options. And it's like, oh, this guy's using the classes, or oh, this person is um, really knows what they're doing with SAS, so they're able to make use of the extend. So. It's really interesting. The user feedback loop is so essential. I'm glad that we're kind of in that in a way. Yeah, in and, many different uh, fronts. That's why I fought so hard to keep the options. Because one of the biggest things we got pushed back on was, no, dictate a specific way to use this. It's too many options. It's too many ideas there. Just tell them how to use it. And I really disagreed with that because because of this. If we provide the options, then we could see how they're using it and then focus on that in the future. But I, I didn't want to dictate how somebody should be using a style guide, especially when you're saying there's so many different styles of development with this. There's so many different people and use cases. The yeah. counterpoint to that, though, is that we do want to enforce consistency. So one thing uh, I ran into when when you're using extends and using uh, the placeholder syntax, you can modify your own styles to a great extent, right? Because you can overwrite the extends, and if you just write in class name and extend and then your own thing, it's easy to deviate from what the pattern library is dictating, right? Um, and so the argument for just slap a class on it and that's your one way of consuming it is you enforce consistency. But I think people want to override things when they need to. They, right. It's not the it's like basic state of developer to say, oh, let me just rewrite everything. It's right. let me use what's provided, and then if I need to, then I'll overwrite it. I would argue some people love rewriting things. <laughs> I, for example, <laughs> rewrite everything. Yeah, is that why you joined this project? <laughs> I did. Oh, well, looks like everything is trash. This looks like I'm an kidding. It's actually wonderful. Uh, it's not trash. Sometimes it is. <laughs> I think it's also you have to kind. Of, we've also had to kind of read the room, uh, so to speak. Like when you're meeting all of the different uh, people you're collaborating with, 
uh, who are building this gigantic Bluemix project, you're going to meet people who are like, we built everything in less, or like, we built everything in just plain CSS, don't give me any of this SaaS stuff. So we're kind of, I think we are going to get to a stage later um, as a company where everyone will understand what SaaS is doing and how easy it is to learn and adopt. Um, and then that's when everyone's going to be like, look at all these options. This is great. Like, right. I love doing it this way, this way, or that way. Right. But I think this was just to, like, kind of get real for a second. Like, I think when these first, uh, um, this proposal for, like, giving people different options was first introduced through Una and through um, the Watson Pattern Library, at first I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. And I think it was also a personal thing because... This project felt it. I didn't follow my own advice of like, don't feel precious about any of your work here because it could just get overridden or thrown right. out or something new and better can come along. I ended up feeling really precious about this because I was just forced to be alone on it for so <laughs> long. And so, but it was your baby? It was my baby. And I was like, oh no, my baby's growing up and changing and wants to do things that I didn't know. Going <laughs> off to school, get another teacher. That's like. I wanted you to be in classes like, no, I want my extents and all this. So like, but it's, but what, so I'm going to like twist this a little bit. So it's a little bit more of a personal anecdote because like, this is really good for me as uh, being on a team because I think it helped me relinquish control and relinquish the stress of, and the cognitive load of control because it's so much better when you have smart people around you and people who are going to do things differently so you can start discovering better ways of building a project and it's really unrealistic to think that one person or a small group of people should uh, be responsible for building such a huge thing that's going to be so foundational for how we build a big product like Bluemix so it's good for me now to be like okay how is someone totally new going to come into this who wants to contribute? Will they be able to know what they're doing right away? And so that's why I was like, documentation's really good. Let's focus on that. Let's make sure that the file structure is really easy to follow and understandable. Um, and just like getting rid of those like obstacles and barriers that people usually have to do to start contributing to a project like this. And that's the first thing that people ask us is, how do I consume this? So I, for one, am so, so happy that you've been really focusing on documenting process and contribution and usage of this pattern library. It's so easy to move forward with the creation of patterns and components and forget to document your process. And you forget when somebody joins your team, your entire audience, like you're building this for somebody else to consume. You forget that you need to actually provide them a means of understanding how to consume it. So... Brian, have you found that that has been helpful in your understanding of the pattern library as well? Yes, because like there's new people joining our team all the time. Um, we had a, a couple new industry hires, Mari and John, and um, and when they're asking me questions, uh, it's really easy to be reminded that like oh, like it's not really clear that our pattern library is only going to be consisting of new styles that are coming down the pipeline or we're only focusing on dark UI right now or there's like all these things that we kind of all this knowledge and information about 
the bigger project that we kind of take for granted, that I definitely take for granted, uh, and I just expect people to know. But then they ask me questions like this, and I'm like, yeah, you're oh, right. yeah. <laughs> it's not clear to you. It's probably not clear for everybody then. So that's been really helpful. You've been doing a great job of really just being the go-to point person about is this documented somewhere? Have we done this yet? Oh, you wait, like have this haven't. broader what's knowledge <laughs> of what's been done and what's not. Because everyone else has come in and out of this project. We're always like pulled aside for side projects. And you just kind of maintain consistency on, okay, I'm introducing a new person to the project. I have to have that documented here. It's it's nice because like then I can – I feel like I'm at a point now where – um, I am still a front-end developer, and I I'm, I'm don't mean to like sell myself short in any way, but I think other people are much faster at prototyping uh, than I am just because I get caught up in um, convention and all these things that we need to follow. And there's kind of, there kind of is a lot of guidelines, um, but it's all for the sake of consistency and making sure that new people can just understand what's going on as long as they know the convention over the configuration stuff but it's like it's it's nice for me personally to be on a team where i'm like okay i don't have to worry about everything i don't have to worry about building a whole library of things or building like a huge percentage of a library i have to worry about um making sure that everyone has something to do that they feel like they're contributing in a real way and they're not just like i don't want to make anyone feel like they're interns just because they're new or they haven't, right. they just got here or something. So I want to give I like give that. That's big a great pieces. sentiment. <laughs> like, I don't, because I did, I, that's how I felt when I first came here. It was just like, oh, you're a front end dev. And, uh, and we, and at the time, there wasn't a really, we kind of had to build a really good front end developer culture when we first started here a year ago. So there were still a lot of like cultural things that we were changing, like, you're a front-end dev, so you can prototype code. You're not really going to be doing things in production. Um, what do I use you for? Uh, how about you go research something? Or how about you do this UX thing? Not to knock any of that, but it's like, yeah, that's, that's not what I was hired to do. Yeah, that's completely changed Yeah, totally Which has different. been really, really awesome to step back and see where this company was in front-end culture a year ago and see where it is now. It's it's great. And we even have like engineers like Chris Donraj sitting with us in the studio, which Hello. is new. And it's really, really cool to have that sort of collaboration and feedback. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm even thankful for how it was a year ago because we saw that change and we affected that change. And now we get to reap the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Preach. So it was cool. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it's a good time. So I have a couple of questions about for, for you. Okay. Uh, as you were building the library out, were there any sources of inspiration you looked at? All the sources. All the sources. Anyone? Any, any top top two? Everyone sources. has one, but us. So I mean, like, just look look around yeah. on the internet; it's there. I so. compiled like a list of sixty plus pattern libraries. Do you have a favorite one? I'm a, I, I'm like the one person on the team that likes Bootstrap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that loan for like, oh, Bootstrap is the worst thing that anyone ever created. Bootstrap has and I'm a like, purpose. But wait, guys, hang on. It's not our purpose. Hang on. I think a Bootstrap structure. I learned a lot from looking how looking at how Bootstrap is structured, um, especially Bootstrap four, but even Bootstrap three had this great set of mixins, extends, and a SAS version as well as as well as a last version, um, where you could consume it piecemeal. I always thought that Bootstrap got a bad rep because there's that Bootstrap.css, there's that Bootstrap site where everything looks like that nav bar, 
the same drop downs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Bootstrap gets a bad rep for the same reason that jQuery gets a bad rep. Right. It's because people who are not super comfortable writing front end code yeah. use it and abuse it and right. then create really non performance, um, just mess of websites with it right. because it's easy to use and it's an introduction to styles that are created for you. Mm-hmm. So I think. I think Bootstrap absolutely has place if you understand how to consume it. But that being said, recreating Bootstrap for our purposes was not what we needed right. for our like microservice projects yep. here. Yeah, I had a weird history with Bootstrap because like that was introduced before I even had a chance to really learn CSS. So, and I'm only coming at it from like a consuming part of it I never actually dove into their repo and saw the structure and was able the structure and was able to learn from it so it was just like my first impression of HTML and CSS was bootstrap and I was like oh. look at all this markup like what I have I have to memorize all these classes call one four five and uh, and I could only make it look like what bootstrap gave me overriding the styles was so difficult so I was trying to totally not use it for the purpose that it was made for, like prototyping right. and getting something out there quick. Um, and it also was not good for me when I was just learning right. HTML and CSS, <laughs> like because it just does so much for you. And I didn't really understand how any of it, how the web worked at yeah. that time. Is there a different panel library either you guys have seen that you think is a good one? Well, I think that or, there's uh, a distinction that needs to be made here. Um, a lot of time you see style guide and pattern library okay. sort of intermixed, but those sort of essentially mean different things at their core. Um, to me, a style guide is much closer to how you would visually represent something, and then a pattern library is a series of modules and components that provide code snippets, maybe JavaScript, HTML, and CSS to create modules that are reusable for your product. Do you think a framework encompasses both of those things or just a pattern library? Not to toss in a third word here. That is a whew, that's a, uh, a CSS framework. Yeah. If you or so Bootstrap and Foundation are called frameworks. They call those frameworks, right. and they provide CSS, JavaScript, as well as markup instructions. Uh, they don't provide, I guess, a style guide like Airbnb's you know, style guide. I guess guide. if you put it that way, what we're building is more of a framework. And I don't think we have ever called it a framework. I know. Like, in my mind, I've always, like, just equated CSS framework and pattern library as, like, interchangeable terms because of the content that it it held. Yeah. Um, And then style guide always ended up being, like, it could be, like, a a static website. It could be a static PDF. That's more visual to me, like, the color assets and typography. Isn't that part of your... Pattern library. Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. what it so, is a framework in a way. It was interesting. <laughs> you pointed out to me in Bootstrap that they actually serve out their Bootstrap website through a GH Pages branch, and right. it's like yeah. it's all together. And when we first started all the our iterations of uh, uh, our pattern libraries and design guides, we were just told like keep them separate. They're separate things. Your design guide website should consume the pattern library. And I was like, okay, I didn't. Yeah, now it's all it's all the same, and we're using um, a templating library to just pull in things from the Bower components that we're building, and um, all the styles, color typography. There has been a lot of talk about architecture, specifically with that, so we can get into that as the next topic. Mm-hmm. But originally, we had them all as separate node modules. Um, we have to use npm enterprise or npm private modules here, um, but we have a on-prem Bower solution now, so we're using private Bower to 
host our files. And instead of doing both NPM and Bower, we decided to go the Bower routes and provide static assets via Bower. It was kind of a sad moment for me because I like using NPM as oh, my front end. Oh, trust me. I wanted solution. to use NPM too. Um, but in practice, it ended up just being much more complicated. Right. Yeah. And it's because, like, we're taking in dependencies uh, for our SaaS, like IBM Colors and all these other things. And we have private assets in there, yeah, like font, font files. files that we can't make public yet. So we need a private solution. And so everything at that point was just pointing to just use private power and just standardize around that. Um, but when you when we first started all this, all of us looked around at all the different style guides, pattern libraries, CSS frameworks, and you could see that everyone distributed everything on all the modern channels of right both things. Yep. NPM, Bower, zip file, tar, <laughs> CDN, whatever. So because there was a lot of uh, sort of back and forth between design, UX, and development as well. So that's why you have all these variety of files in there. Right. I know we actually got a request to have a CDN for a CSS file at one point. Mm-hmm. In the last two weeks, somebody, not two weeks, last week or so, someone mentioned that they wanted to just point at a CSS file. I don't file. think that's too far off. I think that's um, absolutely but I think that's going wrong, to happen. I think that's the wrong consumption model, though. Like, as we talk about architecture, uh, one of the things we talk about on our side is consumption, consuming the library. And if you can consume a built CSS file, you're running into the same issues that Bootstrap runs into, where people just consume the one large file, and then you don't actually need every single component in the Right. But this is where it comes down to how people want to consume the library, which right. is when we talked about those three different ways. Right. And this is method number three, which is valid, especially if you're creating a pattern library for a service, right. where that... Um, CSS would be shared within all the microservices. So it's not like you're just making it for one page, you're making it for everything. And that makes it more performant because you can cache that and keep it within your browser's history. Yeah. um, Yes and no. Um, Just because if we're talking about the various different microservices, some of them, people will stay on one the entire time and will never hit something else. And CSS bloat is actually a real concern in rendering a page. I know Dave Rupert did a talk where he was just measuring the performance of his website according to Google's page speed test. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he cut out a bunch of the extraneous CSS selectors, his score dropped like a thousand points, something absurd. Um, yeah, no, definitely. CSSstats.com is an excellent resource for checking out your style guide, your CSS, and seeing how many additional um, selectors are in there that you're not using, right. seeing how many colors you're specifying, font sizes. People, especially on larger projects, don't realize how quickly that grows. I ran one of my old projects through that site once, and I was just, I was just horrified. I was like, oh my goodness, did I make this? I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have um, on there a few different websites like Yahoo and um, yeah. some of the news sites that you can run theirs, and it's just like, oh, Whoops. wow. that's Someone should probably take a look at that. <laughs> and this is one of the use cases for a pattern library, right? Yeah. If everyone Which is why consumes... I really want to extend, but, you know, I, 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 again, it's a, hard, it's a hard call to make because some people don't know how to use extends or SAS, right. and they're yep. not using it. And you can't tell someone how to do their job 100% of the way. Yeah. Like, you can make suggestions. You can say, this is what you need to consume for your microservice. But uh, I, I really feel weird, completely 
um, dictating the code that they're writing line by line? Right. What what preprocessor are they using? Like, what if they just want to use Post CSS or? Ooh, I mean, I no, mean, well, who knows what's going to be in the future? So yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's why I like options. Yeah. So back to I, I didn't actually answer your original question, Don Raj, <laughs> which is like, do we have a favorite? Yeah. Um, I think out of all of them. The one that wowed me the first was the material design light. Oh, yeah. uh, oh it's beautiful. Yes. Like, I was wowed by that, and I took a lot of inspiration from that uh, when starting out this latest iteration of our uh, pattern library. And then when I dug more into other ones, I really like a primer CSS, which yep. is GitHub's thing. Yep. And I feel like I learned a lot of good markup stuff from there. Right. I know. <laughs> Again, I think looking at these big projects and seeing how they structure things is one of the greatest ways to learn. Um, material design in particular is so complete. Um, it honestly blows my mind to see how much they've thought of, uh, how, what they've thought of, of as they made material design. Um, it's one of the main reasons why I like Android better than iOS, not to. I love the thing, architectural structure of the material design it's, library. It's mind-blowing how much they've thought about. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of it. So we did look at that. It came out halfway through our one of our iterations like yeah. of this. It, this has been just a series of experimentation and research and development right. and going back to the drawing board and then starting over and seeing where it takes us. And I think we're really close to creating something final and tangible at this stage. So I'm really looking forward to getting more people to use it because people have started using it now. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Much to Brian's chagrin. (laughs) It was really scary at first because we had quietly released these, uh, our pattern library on public NPM and public power at first. And then you would go to bed, wake up the next day, log into NPM or log into the Bower registry and see like, 100 downloads yesterday. No, delete, delete, delete. 500 downloads yesterday. And it was just like, who are these people? Who's using it? I clearly said, don't. How did they find it? Um, and uh, and that's another funny, scary thing is that, like, we've been marking things as pre-release and yeah. alpha release and don't use in production. But, um, but now it's time. The time has come. People kind of. are... Being Almost. told use it in production, like get something going, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. All right. So we are out of time, but this has been a really awesome talk, and hopefully, you will learn something from hearing our struggle and our story about creating a style guide, pattern library, framework, whatever at scale, um, and sort of the challenges that we faced along the way. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Tools Day. And thank you, Brian, for coming and chatting with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. (laughs) And uh, we will see you next time.